Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. When you're out and about in Kansas City and you're at a charity event, a 5K, a marathon, or just about anything, there's a familiar face and voice you're probably going to see. His name is Jake Jacobson. And for years, he spent time working at the Kansas City Star, Children's Mercy Hospital, Garmin, and now... He works for Native. He's one of the great faces of Kansas City and really one of the great promoters of our town here and all over the United States. Here's my conversation with Kansas Cityan Jake Jacobson. I think one of the, the, the biggest questions I have for you is, how do you have the time? Like, no, no, no matter where I am, no matter where you are, I see you, you see me. How do you have the time to be so involved in Kansas City? Uh, that's a fun question. Yeah, I, I think it starts off with, like, I... I've had people ask me that type of thing, and I'm always just like, well, I only say yes to things that I like. It just so happens that I like a lot of things. And I think because I get my energy from volunteering, from emceeing, from running or writing, like it fuels me more than it drains me. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually what keeps me going for the other stuff. you know. And so instead of being a distraction from work or being a distraction from home, it ends up kind of being a little bit more of an amplifier for me. Um, And also, I think so many people are so quick to say, I'm busy. And I had a mentor of mine say that that's the laziest reply if someone asks, how are you doing? That if you just do the roll your eyes and say that you're busy, well, then you've been saying yes to the wrong things, you know, or you've been doing it wrong. You know, even my dad would always say when I was growing up, if you're not having fun doing it, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. And so I try to apply that to all these things. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't sleep much. Um, and I usually try to fit in if I have a free night. I'm just like, well, who could I, you know, grab a beer with? Who could I grab dinner with? Uh, while also trying to keep my sanity. Well, and I think it's interesting when you say you, you fuel yourself off the adrenaline that you get from giving back and doing all that kind of stuff. And that's something that I experienced back in, in 2015 when I did Dancing with the Stars yeah, yep. and, and had my first kind of, you know, uh, deal with, with charity and giving back. You felt that adrenaline. And, wow, we just did something really, really cool here and really, really good. And I've never really shared that with anybody. And I'm yeah. glad you kind of brought that up because it truly does drive you. When you can see the difference you're making for yep. somebody it really does kind of push you to do more. Yeah, it is a very selfish motivation because it makes me feel so good. Yeah. You know, and so as I'm helping out all these things, and, you know, and even just as I'm seeing the appreciation on everybody else's faces, that makes you feel really good. You know, I don't have a long list of skills and talents. And so the ones that I do have, I'm like, all right, I need to apply to however I can help. And Dancing with the Stars was a great example. And I mean, you were there the night that I was invited Mm -hmm. to do it. And I just remember... You know, when uh, Scott Wilson was just like, hey, you know, Noah's Bandage Project has been selected as a beneficiary of the BMA Foundation's Dancing with the Stars. I'm like, congratulations. And, he's, and I said, you know, like, how can I help? He goes, well, yeah, I, I need your help. I'm like, oh, you, you need an MC? He's like, no, we've got an MC covered. And then I was like, oh, you need help spreading the word on social media? He's like, no, although, yes, that'll be part of it. And he goes, we want you to be our celebrity dancer. And I remember my instant response was, thank you. I only have two problems with that. I'm neither a celebrity nor a dancer. And right then, you and Paul Long, like, I mean, it was like it was planned, this ambush. You both spun around, and you were just like, oh, you'll love it. It's the best thing you've ever done. And I'm like, hey, I was just asked. You know, give me a second. But I think I also knew immediately, seeing how much you guys enjoyed doing it and knowing that it was for 
for Scott and the whole and Noah's whole family that um, I, I wasn't going to say no. And yeah, that six months was insane for me, you know. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't have a lot of big corporate backers to try to you know bring money in, I hosted thirteen fundraisers in thirteen weeks, and so I basically you know lived on Evite, you know, right. And, um, and I was either planning ticket planning or selling tickets or you know hawking raffle tickets at an event or doing a recap you know and but man when it got done I was afraid that I had worn all of my friends out and a couple were like well what are we gonna do now you know like you've, we've run out of events because you've finished the Dancing with the Stars yeah uh, so no so that's been a fun family to get involved with but it's a perfect example of that the harder you work the more you enjoy it well it's true and and I remember that night because I have it written down in my notes that was one of the first times we met and I said you'd be perfect for this for yeah. dancing with the stars I remember the look at your face like uh, I, don't, I don't think you have any idea <laughs> right. what you're talking exactly. about and it's really not about the celebrity it's not about the dancing it's having the connection yeah. to the foundation the BMA foundation or in your case with with Noah's bandage project I dance for Charlie's house yeah. a lot and having that connection and 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 wanting to do good for that foundation and you were the perfect guy for that for Noah's bandage project with the relationship relationship that you formed with the Wilson family at the hospital. You yeah. Know? And that's, and that's where it came down to it was knowing that I was able to be part of that journey while Noah was alive, while he was, you know, spreading this great word about the bandage project. And then even after he passed that the family was still so involved with everything at children's mercy. And yes, that we got to know each other on a very personal level that, like I said, there was no way I was going to say no. Um, but I, I was worried. I couldn't figure out which worried me more the dancing or the fundraising. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you just step up, you know, and when you know you're doing it for such a great cause, then suddenly those 6 a.m. dance lessons, um, you know, and also it helped that I had the best partner. So uh, my partner, Joan, first time we met, you know, she asked me, well, what kind of dancing do you like? And I said, well, I enjoy ballroom dancing. She goes, oh, ballroom. I'm like, no, no, bar with an R, like <laughs> barroom dance. And then she said, well, I just want you to have fun. She goes, because a little personality can make up for a lot of imperfection. And right then I gave her a hug and I said, you just described my whole mantra for life, you know, and I told her because the one thing I have more of than personality is imperfection. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we just had a good time with it. And I remember the night of the event, I had to follow Johnny Hall, who has you know taught ballet for like 25, 30 years. And I mean, she is as fluid as you can get. Like, I mean, every hit, every angle is just perfect. And she went the one who went before me, got three standing ovations. Uh, I remember Tony said, you know, he's been doing this you know, celebrity dance routines for 10 years and he's the best he's ever seen. I'm like, this is great. And I'm still standing like in the on deck circle waiting to go. And literally my first step of the routine I did on the wrong foot. Oh, (laughs) but right then I was also like, well, I can only get better from here. Right. And the judges afterward, they were a little confused by some of the steps in the moves. Um, but I remember them saying that they could tell that we were having fun and they could tell that we were a real pair and that we were both in it together. And to me, that summed up the whole six months. I'm just like, yes, I was never going to be perfection out on the dance floor. Uh, but for that two and a half minutes, I could knock out and have some fun. Well, I, I want to know more about your behind the scenes relationship with the Wilson family, because I think everybody in Kansas <laughs> City formed a bond with Noah yes. and, yep. and the Wilson family, especially with it all happening during the Royals run to a yep. World Cher- Series. And obviously he passed away before he got to see them win that championship. What was your relationship like with Noah? Yeah, so um, when I first learned about Noah's Bandage Project and Scott and uh, Deb reached out and said, you know, we're doing this really cool thing. Um, our son wants more colorful Band-Aids for kids who are fighting cancer because if you're in the hospital, you shouldn't have to deal, or if you're doing all your at-home treatment, everything, you shouldn't be dealing with boring brown Band-Aids. And I just thought it was the, the best story, you know. And so we were able to get KMBC, I believe it was, who was there for that first time. And so I'm sitting there bedside and 
Noah's doing the interview, Deb, Scott and Deborah doing the interview. And right then, um, Scott's friend Ryan like checks Twitter and he goes, whoa, what is this? And it was leading up to the 2014 World Series where they had just thrown out there, you know, hey, we've got some kids who are, you know, who would love to see the Royals go to the World Series. Anybody have a hookup on tickets? And it ended up being um, Joe Torre's mm-hmm. folks who were just like, you know, save, oh, because they were trying to raise money to buy World Series tickets. And I remember he said, save your money for college. You're going to the World Series with me. And so I was bedside for that whole interaction. And I just remember the elation on everyone's, you know, and everyone's like checking. He's like, is that the real Joe Torre account? You know, and to see that turn into then not only the family getting to go, but other cancer heroes getting to go. And just the visibility that it brought to Noah's Vantage Project was phenomenal. And then, you know, when Noah beat it the first time mm-hmm. and we were all celebrating and then when it came back and we were all, you know, rallying in support of him. And then, yeah, when he when he passed away, I mean, it's one of those where it felt like lost a member of the family. Sure. And so then we had stayed in touch and between helping spread the word about Noah's Vantage Project and just checking in on family, um, we continued to stay close. And so the night that Scott asked me, and he even said, he was like, you know, Noah would have loved it. And I'm just like, oh, well, that's that seals the deal right there. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, that was very special to me. And, again, I even as much as I get involved with different charities, I always want there to be some personal connection because I don't want to feel like the person who shows up at a fundraiser and says, I'm not sure why I'm here, but I'm glad to be here. Instead, I want there to be a, a very close connection with everything that I do. And that family just exemplified that well and i think with with them as well they they were are a family that came along at a time where kansas city was growing as as a family itself i mean i i think what the royals did for kansas city was great on the baseball field but what they did off the field for kansas city is the thing that i love so much and that i talk about all the time we became a city that grew up believed in ourselves rooted each other on cheered for each other and I don't think that happens without the Royals going to the World Series in back-to-back years and obviously winning it in 15. I don't think we're at this spot in our town right now without the Royals doing what they did. I agree completely. And, you know, it's funny because it was also the same time that you're starting to see more Charlie Hustle shirts all over. Right. And, um, but, yeah, if you think about, you know, when Hosmer and Duffy show that they were, you know, not too big of stars to be able to embrace the Wilson family. Mm-hmm. You know, and Danny still does so much for the Wilson family. And that's when you realize that not only are these guys playing in the World Series, but they're also all just fellow Kansas Cityans, and they're just so relatable. And these guys could have easily big-timed any of them, and instead they got more and more involved because they realized that by going to the World Series, now you can be an even bigger platform for all those causes. And so I I agree that that was a really cool turning point because I moved to Kansas City in 2000, Mm -hmm. and I was working downtown at the Kansas City Star, and I remember thinking, I'm like, man, as, as soon, if I'm not working, there's no reason to be downtown. You know, and when friends would come down for the Big 8, Big 12 tournaments, you know, I would, again, I'd be just like, yeah, for one weekend, this is fun. But otherwise, there's not much to do down here. And I wanted to love Kansas City. Right. And then just to see that gradual build, um, to see downtown just complete, have, go through this great renaissance. And then the Royals kind of were that, that exclamation point that was just like, all right, all of these things have been coming into place. Google Fiber, the Kauffman Center, like all these things that are putting us in headlines. And then that just, I think, solidified all that and put us in a national spotlight. Well, and, and it did. It put us in a national spotlight in a great way because with the the Joe Torrey thing, I'll, I'll always remember, you know, trying to help them get tickets. And I, I remember getting 
connected with them somehow, and they said, well, we gave you four tickets or yeah. something. I told Scott, I said, we got four tickets. Where he goes, well, we need six. I'm like, well, screw you. I don't yeah, know. Right. <laughs> How, How do I do tickets, that? Right? Yeah. And then Joe Torre got more involved, and, and yeah. he said to me at the World Series, he goes, I never believed in the power of social media until I met you guys yeah. and, and saw the way that this kind of snowballed and the way that it all came to life. And in this era now where social media is so important, that was a great way to use yeah. social media. We always talk about the negative ways yes. that we use social media, but that was one of the great ways that I saw social media come, I guess, to the rescue, to the aid yeah. of somebody that really needed it and quite honestly deserved it at that time. Well, and also that power of storytelling through social media. You know, I think that's one thing that the Wilsons did such a great job of was that it could have easily been, you know, feel bad for us, feel bad for Noah. And instead it was like, Noah wants to help other kids. Yeah. And that, I think, is just one of those things where it made it easy as I was introducing people to both BMA, because, I mean, the you know, the Anselmo family is the same way mm -hmm. where they want to take, you know, their own personal journey and find ways to help everybody in Kansas City. And so when the Wilsons were doing that and saying, all right, yes, Noah is fighting this, but he's not fighting it alone. These are the families that we see every day at Fort Henson. Let's figure out a way to be able to help them as well. And that's when that storytelling can just be, you know, catch fire on social media. Yeah. And, and that's a lot of fun. So, yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, I've been working in social now for 13 years, and I'll often hear people, you know, want to just berate it and say all the evils of social media. And there are plenty of bad things and pitfalls out there. Um, but, man, there's so much good that can be done when you're doing it the right way for the right reason with the right people. And that's what keeps me excited about it well and, and you have a unique background too because you're a lot like me you didn't grow up here but you right. moved to kansas city i went to ku in 95 you came in in 2000 and for whatever reason we both fell in love with this town i want to yep. see this town do good and do great and continue to grow and expand and and be the the great place that it is where everybody knows that it's a, what made you fall in love with kansas city so uh, it was first the Big 8 tournament. You know, I was coming yeah. down here. Well, I, Iowa you know, State background, yeah. so you guys took over yep. Kelly's. And, exactly, you know, yes. and So you came down here, got drunk, and I'm like, this is a great place. Right. I love this. Yeah. yeah, it's so much fun. I'm like, I see all my friends. Right. Um, and so that was my introduction to it. My sister's family lived in Olathe and then Gardner, and so I was kind of getting introductions to it. And then I did an internship at Farmland Foods. So I would come down and I would do – it was a leadership conference for high schoolers. And all four years of – college, I came down as first a volunteer and then my last year as an intern. And so I lived on the William Jewell campus and was able to kind of get to know a little bit more beyond just Westport. Sure. And when I finished up grad school, then I knew that I wanted to explore a bit because, you know, central Iowa, it's still a great place to grow up. It's home. But I kind of wanted to, you know, branch out a little bit. Chicago, a little too big. Denver, I love it, but a little too far. Mm -hmm. Minneapolis, a little too cold. And so Kansas City is this perfect spot where it is big enough that um, there's always something to do, small enough that you can build a network and make an impact. And so I think I realized that right away. But working at the Star the first seven years, I was working nights, weekends, holidays. And so a great job and a great way to tell Kansas City stories, but I wasn't living them. And so then I go to Garmin where you know I got to do this dream job where I was doing PR for outdoor products, uh, fitness products. So run, hike, bike. Then I started the social media channels there and got to kind of own those. And so to be able to share those stories, but, you know, they're pretty far south in Olathe. And so it was kind of hard to get as involved downtown. And then when the opportunity came involved to get involved with Centurions through the Chamber of Commerce, I think that's when I started guzzling the Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. And so I was already loving the size and scope of Kansas City, but I didn't realize just all the ways to get involved. And then through the Chamber of Commerce and through this group of, you know, also a bunch of type A go-getters that all want to change the world. Suddenly I'm just like, wait. 
I can help. I can right. do this. And so I think that's when I started, you know, saying yes to Ron McDonald House. That's when um, the job opportunity at Children's Mercy came along. And to be able to be downtown in this iconic institution and to be a part of all these stories, and they could have easily, to Children's Mercy's credit, they could have easily said, you know, we're a nonprofit, you know, which a lot of people don't realize. But they could have said, we're a nonprofit. We're going to need you to stop being as involved on these other boards or other fundraising because you need to focus on us. And instead, they loved it because they knew that if you're talking about the MS Society, if you're talking about a teenager with MS, they're probably being treated at Children's Mercy. Ronald McDonald House, those families are there because their kids are being treated at Children's Mercy. So all of these different things, um, Children's Mercy was kind of the hub. And so to be able to be a part of that and then get more immersed downtown. Uh, so, yeah, I, I say I'm in Kansas City's home, you yeah. know, and uh, this past year I was recruited for a really, really great job opportunity, um, but it would have had me leave town. And no matter how many zeros they put there, I mean, maybe a couple more zeros, a couple, like, yeah. couple more zeros, uh, but I didn't want to start over in a completely different city when this is my support system. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm absolutely Kansas City. This is. Uh, this is home. And it really is a great support system here. Like, this is a town that's willing to drop anything and help when, when need be. Like, yep. people are willing to come to your aid. You don't get that everywhere else. I mean, I, I lived in St. Louis. I talk about it all the time. The people there aren't the people here in Kansas City. I grew up in New Jersey. The people there are great people, but it's not what we have here in Kansas City. When you say, hey, I need something, people are running, man. People yep. are willing. How can I help? What can I do? Where can I go? Yeah, and I think the big part of that is helping others when you don't need the help. Yeah. And so then when it comes time and you have to cash in some of those, you know, requests and favors, then suddenly people are like, finally, I get to help you, you know. And, you know, I know Jen last year raised $10,000 for Ronald McDonald House through Chicago Marathon. Yeah. And the year before, that was kind of my focus and I was able to do about the same. And what was inspiring to watch her and I know the fun that I had was that when you spend so much time helping other people and then suddenly you step up and you're like, you know what, I'm going to put a big number out there that I'm going to aim for. And I'm going to go for this. And it's completely out of my comfort zone. And when everybody else steps up and says, how can I help? You know, when they show up at your fundraisers at Casey Beer Co. Or, you know, they come to, you know, the different places around town where you're hosting something. And they come up not only to show up, but also with a checkbook. Then that becomes a really cool way to see this support system. Because, again, you're not just supporting me. You're supporting the people I'm trying to help out through fundraising. Uh, so that's that to me is always the fun part because I don't think I'm good at asking for money. I'm not either. I don't think anybody is yeah. really. Some people are, but yeah. like that—that's one of my biggest weaknesses. I can't yeah. say, "Hey, give me a check," you yeah. know. And and it's just—it's not easy for somebody to do. My wife's fairly good at it, yeah. but 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 for for me, I know I'm not I'm not good at that at all. I think that it's hard to do. Like that's why I couldn't be in sales on a daily basis. Right. It is uncomfortable because I'm always that person who almost feels like they have to apologize as soon as they ask for anything. Yes. And so my thought was. And I, I mentioned this to you before, but like, so the year that I, you know, was doing Dancing with the Stars, I mean, I hosted 13 fundraisers in 13 weeks because I'm like, I want to give somebody a party. And then once they're there, man, I can sell raffle tickets, you know? Yeah. And um, so raising that kind of support, but asking somebody for a thousand dollar check is not my, not my area. And even now, you know, I'm in a, a new role now and business development is part of that. And a couple of people are like, oh, are you going to become the sales guy? And what I love about it is that both my CEO and I decided that that'd be the worst approach for me because it would seem so disingenuous to who I am. And instead, you know, I approach business development like I look at any kind of relationship building. It's like, hey, if we can help you and if this is a good fit, well, then let's do it. Mm -hmm. And if either side of this doesn't feel like a good fit, then we're going to wish each other the best and move along in separate ways. Um, and so I think that's it is like I didn't want to feel like whether it's through fundraising or whether it's through work, feel like it's just transactional where I'm reaching for somebody's wallet or I'm trying to get them to sign on a dotted line. 
And then as soon as I walk away, you know, I, I feel like a, a used car salesman. No, no offense to sure. car salesman, but uh, but those kind of that typecast of the salespeople, like that, just isn't my personality. Um, and so it feels good to kind of be able to do the fundraising and to be able to have a job where you're just feeling like you're being you. Yeah, yeah, and, and and that is pretty cool. But but also one of the coolest things, like you're one of the biggest promoters of Kansas City. You're sitting here with the Heart KC yep. lapel pin <laughs> on that I'm sure you wear every day, yep. <laughs> and and you also have the opportunity to promote two of the biggest brands in Kansas yeah. City with Garmin and Children's Mercy. So to promote the city and two of the biggest brands in that city, what was that like for you to have the ability to do that? Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, for one thing, so yeah, with Garmin, you know, getting to go to the Tour of France three times and remind people it's like yep garmin based right there in kansas city you know the best technology on these professional bikes is built right here in kansas city and uh then to get to go run chicago get to run new york marathon and get to do it repping kansas city and working booths at both of those and introducing people to kansas city that's always something and when i whenever i do my national public speaking i'm always wearing this heart pin because i want people to know uh in fact i spoke at mayo clinic uh one year and then microsoft the next year during the world series runs and I would take my Royals cap and set it on the, the podium right next to me because I'm just like, you're, you're right. I am an unapologetic, shameless hack, you know, mm-hmm. about all things Kansas City. And then with Children's Mercy, yeah, it, it was great to be able to remind people that one of the best children's hospitals in the world is right here in Kansas City. Uh, my first couple weeks on the job, I had um, a popular science reporter come by and, and she wasn't knowing what she was going to expect, but she got to check out our genome center. Um, I guess their genome center since I'm, I'm still working on my pronouns. Uh, but the genome center at Children's Mercy was the first of its kind inside of a children's hospital, was the first to take the sequencing of baby's DNA from weeks down to 48 hours. Because if you think about a critically ill baby, you don't have weeks. Right. You've got a couple days. And so, but everyone kind of thought of Kansas City as this cow town. And so to be able to tell that story about how the best technological marvels in pediatric medicine are happening right here in Kansas City, both PopSci, Bloomberg sent a reporter, and they were able to show it up. And also I showed them around the rest of Kansas City because I'm going to be a good tour guide. Sure, absolutely. And so, you know, I drove them around downtown. I'm pointing out the Kauffman Center, and I'm pointing out that we were the first in the country to have Google Fiber, take them to barbecue, you know, and so get to show them the the very real sides of Kansas City. So to me, that's when I'm at my best is when I get to kind of tell people why I love Kansas City so much and why they should, you know, kind of look at us with a new perspective as well. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because it's like you're you're following along in my notes because I, I want to know with all of the stuff you do travel-wise, how do you promote Kansas City when you're away from Kansas City? What do you tell people? Yeah, so so one thing is, again, you know, wearing the lapel pin or making sure that I've got my Kansas City socks on. And so that can start a conversation in an airport. Um, the number of, you know, compliments and comments that I've gotten just walking through the screening when you have to take your shoes off. And they're like, oh, those are amazing. I'm like, let me tell you about my Arrowhead socks, you know? Yeah. Um, but then also just, I'm even when I'm traveling, a lot of times if I'm speaking at a conference, I'm there on my own. And so I will probably still go to the cocktail hour for the reception or I'm going to go to the hotel bar and I'm not shy about striking up a conversation. And again, as opposed to someone saying, how do you like Kansas City? If my answer were, eh, it's fine. Well, the conversation ends there. Ends, yeah. And, but if I'm able to tell them some of the excitement without sounding like I work for my friends at Visit KC, you know, uh, but if I'm able to share just genuine, authentic enthusiasm for it, then I either hear, you know, I've been hearing some cool things or I never would have guessed that. And so either way, those responses continues the conversation. And so I get to talk about, 
you know, everything that's happening downtown and this resurgence and how it's not just downtown, but the whole metro area. Uh, and that's when it gets fun. And again, I, when I was working at the Star, I was there when the sports teams had their worst run. I mean, I remember I designed the first 100 loss cover for a Royals season oh. and with literally 100 little L's on it. And I remember counting every one of them. And somebody's like, well, you know, if there's 10 rows of 10, you're good. I'm like, I know I'm good, but I'm going to count every one of these because if one of them happens to be like a capital I instead of an L or a 7, you know, like I'm yeah, going right. to count them all. Um, and I still remember my buddy Bob Merrick, who was one of the great artists and designers at the Star. Um, they worked on this centerpiece with our design department, Brother, Can You Spare a Win? And it was a skid row illustration of every one of our mascots because even KU basketball was down for a year, you know, and the Chiefs were horrible. The Royals were horrible. And yet what I found was that Kansas City still cheered for our sports. You know, I mean, sometimes it was done with a little you know, tongue in cheek and a little bit of a snark, uh, sarcasm and, some, and a snarky jab. But um, everyone still loved those sports. And so that's why when the Chiefs started winning, you know, we started, uh, you know, when, when Dante Hall would run back a touchdown, you know, and, you know, when we had the, the greatest show on earth right here, you know. And, yeah. um, and then when the Royals started getting better and we had promise that went beyond grooming some young talent only to see them picked off by other people. That was such a bubbling, you know, energy waiting to percolate to the top that it becomes easy to tell Kansas City's story. Um, but you have to be paying attention. What were you saying 10 years ago? So 10 years ago, I kept saying how great there was potential. Yeah. You know, and by that time, 10 years ago, I was, I know I've been seeing everyone's decade challenges and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, 10 years ago, I was at Garmin. And again, just amazed that this technological giant could be, you know, not just headquartered here, but have started here with four engineers that had an idea about using these satellites in space. And so there's a story you can tell, you know, and then to be able to talk about this, you know, instead of complaining about state line running through and dividing a city, talk about how we get different perspectives from both sides of the state line. And so I think that's what I was kind of trying to touch on, you know, where uh, and also I grew up as an Iowa State football fan where if we won, it was amazing. And if we lost, that was probably a good game, you know. And so to watch the Royals and Chiefs almost get there, like, you know, I'm, I lived on moral victories in college. Sure. And so, in fact, I remember the year that Iowa State was 0-10-1, we rushed the field the day we tied it, you know, cause, and the cops were like, it's fine, it's fine. You know, these, we're probably going to replace the field goals or the goalposts anyway. Yeah. Um, and so that's why it was easy to get excited during those young Royals days where you could see the hope and you could kind of see where we could go if it all clicked and if they all stayed. And so then by the time that, you know, the World Series rolled around, we all kind of were like, yeah, you know, this is, we've seen the blueprint, we're expecting it. Um, so I think it's not like anything was an overnight success in Kansas City. You know, even the Google Fiber, you know, being able to bring that here and being able to be the first and be able to get some of the, you know, tech nerds looking at us, um, that wasn't something that started overnight. It was, you know, this idea of entrepreneurialism, this idea of innovation that just hadn't found that lightning rod yet. Um, so I think the stories have always been here. It's just being more involved in the city, you f- figure out how to tell these stories even better. What's going to be in the next 10 years, Kansas City? Oh, What's going to be the story for us? Because, you know, we, we've, we've got the new airport. We've got the convention center hotel. Yeah. We've got the Kauffman Center. I mean, it seems like everything that we need is kind of getting taken care of. Mass transit, obviously, is yep. another discussion. But where yep. do you think we will be in 10 years? What kind of story will you be telling people around the country in 10 years about Kansas City? Well, the nice thing is the Chiefs will have won a few Super Bowls by then. So we're not going to have to convince people right. you know, <laughs> that we're good at uh, sports. But I think everything that you just mentioned, you know, streetcar expansion, the new airport, convention center hotel, all those things are in the works right now. And 
I think what's going to be important is that once we get those things that we don't rest on our laurels, you know, we kind of realize, all right, now we've got them. Now we are a true destination city. Now is when we need to empower our 2 million citizens to stop complaining and realize that this is a pretty amazing city we've got. And so I'd like to see that where it goes from just these huge, big, big projects to the truly, you know, the, the pride in the citizens. So you don't have to be a Royals season ticket holder in 2015 to be the only one excited because obviously the day of the parade, that's still just one of those moments where when you see all the planets align mm-hmm. in Kansas city and there were what three arrests that day yeah. for misdemeanors. And, right. you know, and the story I love is, you know, a couple of people stood on top of a taxi cab just to get a better view and the hood collapsed. And so they all kicked in and bought the guy a new cab or whatever. Right. I'm like, yeah. That's Kansas city. You know, like we're not lighting stuff on fire. Right. Um, and so I would like to see that go beyond sports to where people can get excited about the new terminal and realize that, you know what, this is needed. And once that opens, people are going to realize that it's going to be this great, you know, this great crown jewel of ours. And so we can get past the bickering and realize, let's start celebrating and showing it off. Um, So that when other people travel, it's easy for them to be able to tell those stories. But man, as far as big, big things, yeah, I don't, I just feel like we are right on the cusp of, when I look around at our peer cities, I feel like 20 years ago, we were chasing you know, there was a chance that Omaha, Des Moines, Oklahoma City were just going to fly right past us um, because we had a little bit of, um, I mean, not a little bit. We had a lot of disarray in City Hall and downtown. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, between Kay Barnes, you know, was the visionary for downtown. She doesn't and, give enough credit. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, in fact. I did one of these with her about a year ago at yeah. this time, and we talked all about it. And people don't understand, like, without her vision yeah. of downtown – I don't know that we see a downtown like we have today. I, I, I agree. I, I think um, I heard her speak at uh, the Hotel Phillips did this really cool thing where they would bring folks in and, you know, kind of a notable Kansas City and have. And so I went when Kay Barnes was the featured speaker. And because I worked at the Star during so much of that time, like I still remember the big scandal around the, you know, the rental car tax, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. and all these things that, you know, felt like they could have divided the city that Kay Barnes was just like, no, we've got to keep doing this, got to keep doing this. And so I was throwing all these questions out there, and she's like, you did your homework. And I'm like, no, I was just paying attention. Um, so, But to see her put all those pieces into place, and then to see Sly James just really bring the city together. And now, I mean, Quentin, the great thing is, this past year, you had between um, between Jolie Justice and Quentin Lucas, I think, two can't-miss candidates for mayor. And so going into that election, everybody just feels good. You know, like they could go a couple different directions, mm-hmm. but both of those directions are absolutely forward, you know, and carrying on great things that uh, Mayor James was able to put in place. And so to me, I think we're going in the right direction where with Quint Lucas in office, he's not going to go and try to erase any of history. Or, And I think his ego is enough that he knows that he builds on everything that's been coming up to this point instead of trying to take us a 90 degree turn right um so no i think it's going to be fun and i don't know what that next big thing is but i think that 20 years ago i wouldn't have known that the pieces that that Kay barnes was putting in place were going to turn into what we're looking at now yeah absolutely you didn't you didn't realize power and light was even a thing you know the downtown right. arena was always kind of talked about but what was that ever going to happen i think i think the next big thing is is the downtown baseball stadium and and, and finally breaking ground on that and and moving that forward, I know some people are going to be against it, and I, I hear from them all the time sure. that they're against it. But it's a fact of life now. It's happening, yeah. and I think that's going to be the next thing that really kind of ties all of downtown together. Yeah, that would be huge. And, I mean, I love that idea. Um, I mean, obviously, 
Kauffman's a beautiful stadium, mm-hmm. but also it's not that same type of thing as when you're in Denver or when you're in the cities where you can just kind of walk. And I know everybody's worried about parking, and yet those are the same people who rarely try to find parking downtown. Right. You know, they just assume that there's nothing down there. Um, you know, I've been living downtown this year, and just the walkability is so fantastic. And there's so much to do now, which, again, 20 years ago when I moved here, there wasn't. You know, mm-hmm. and so now, in fact, it was funny when I was leaving the Star in 2007 for Garmin, that's right when Power and Light and the Sprint Center were being built. And I'm just like, so now? Now you do this? Yeah. And so to be able to be back downtown amidst all of this, and yet for it to be this welcoming area, like all of the people from who live in the suburbs that don't make it downtown that often, the streetcar is suddenly this great draw for them, mm-hmm. you know? And they enjoy taking their family on it, and they can pop along all the different places around downtown that before they would have been worried about parking or they would have been worried about, you know, well, how do I find my way around? And so I think doing that is a way that is not dividing between you know inner core and outer core and instead saying all right let's bring all this together um i think that's going to be a big deal and also just to make sure that all of these great advancements that we're doing that they truly benefit the entire city you know because with some of the things that have popped up i know there are times where a lot of you know concern gets shown you know are we are we bridging the divide with truce or are we you know deepening the divide you know and i think that all the right players are in place right now that want to make this one true city mm-hmm. and make sure that prosperity reaches all neighborhoods. Um, and so that's that's a big hope for me this next decade, too. That, that, that would be obviously very good. Is there anything Kansas Cityans care more about and worry more about than parking, though? I, right, exactly. <laughs> anywhere, anywhere. Uh, yeah, so it, it cracks me up. So now, yeah, I'm, we're about to move. Uh, yeah, so our new offices for Native are about to move down Grand. And so we're going to be right by Messenger Coffee, right by the Stars Old Building, which is kind of a homecoming for me. Yeah. And so I'm going to have literally a four-block commute. And so that won't be bad at all. you know. Um, but it's great when I have friends come downtown, they always worry about parking. And yet, as soon as they find them, they're like, oh, I'm so surprised I found something. I'm like, every time you've come down, you found something. So right. why do you continue to be surprised? It, it really is. It, it's so funny. It just, yeah. it, it'll be something, I think, that is in our DNA to the yep. day we're all dead and this world right. no longer exists. Parking will always be an issue in Kansas City. Yeah, but with yeah, with streetcar, with Uber, with Lyft, with yeah. bird scooters, you know, I mean, it's just less of that idea that you have to be parked right outside the door of where you're going. Mm-hmm. And I saw where somebody did this great map where they showed how far you actually walk when you go to Arrowhead or Oh, Hoffman. there's more. Po- I've, done, I've got the numbers at home. Yeah. There's actually more parking spots closer to where the downtown baseball stadium would be than actually out, out of Kauffman Stadium. Right. And, like, you walk five or six blocks, the equivalent of when you park out there. Yeah. And yet if you told somebody to park five or six blocks away from Sprint Center, they'd be like, oh, my gosh. Well, I'm going to, you know. Right. Um, so, no, I think it, it is going to take that culture shift. And, but, yeah, it's going to take away something we love complaining about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, when, when you move forward in this next decade, what do you want to do from a charitable give back type of standpoint? That's a great question. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I, I would like to, again, continue to use social media in a good way. Um, I you know, going from Children's Mercy to Native Digital, a few people were like, oh, you're going from a nonprofit to agency. You know, we're going to miss you in the nonprofit world. And I point out, like, now I get to work with a lot more of them. Uh, you know, like right now we're working with Cornerstones of Care, with the Kauffman Foundation, uh, with Black Girls Code on a national level. You know, and so I get to actually have my fingers in a lot more work that nonprofits do. But then also just the boards that I'm on. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to figure out how to, I guess, make charitable giving so it's beyond just the really big names in Kansas City and help people realize that whether it's, you know, donating time or donating money, 
that you can make a really big impact with that small donation. Um, so yeah, I think I would like to just keep being that voice for charities that otherwise just need a little jumpstart of energy. And like I said, I don't have deep pockets, and so it's been hard for me to you know write big checks myself. Mm -hmm. But if I can share some energy through you know announcing Trolley Run or you know emceeing the MS Society Dinner of Champions, then we raise a hundred thousand dollars that night. That feels really good to me. Sure. And so I think it's just activating more and more people to get more involved and not assume that it's someone else's job or duty um, because they don't make enough or they don't have enough time because it doesn't take a whole lot to be able to make an impact. I'm not going to let you get out of here without singing your favorite karaoke song. <laughs> um, well, I would probably break the microphones because uh, it would either be Freedom by George Michael. Uh -huh. uh, Bad <laughs> Really? Rock. Oh, yeah, because you get to take people to church on that one when everybody's you know doing the Freedom. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Bad Romance by Lady Gaga is a favorite of mine. Um, in fact, there was one time where I stepped off stage in Chicago. I was just there by myself, again, solo travel. And the bartender looked up and was like, was that you doing Lady Gaga? I'm like, yeah. He's like, man, your bar tab's on me. He's like, I've never seen a bald white guy just get up there and knock that out. And I'm, that felt good. Yeah. You know? um, and then another one that is my go-to that I actually did live band karaoke in Miami and finished second in a contest was uh, Forget You by CeeLo, um, which is a nice high-pitched one, but you get to have some fun. And just everybody just starts pointing at each other because there's a whole lot of angst that comes out of those. So, uh, yeah, I, I always point out that that's a love song. So, <laughs> Well, I thought you would, you'd say something like Living on a Prayer or so you know, I, Journey I, or I something. I enjoy you know. those too. But, yeah, no, I, I tend to get a little eclectic. Yeah, when people are always – people ask me, they're just like, you know, so what's your go-to song? So I kind of have a list because I'm like, well, it depends on the crowd. It depends on, you know, early in the night. You don't want to use up your really good ones, but you have to be able to get people started. Right. So that might be Ho Hey by the Lumineers, you know. Um, so, wow! Yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm good. I'm just. I have. I have, I have fun. I have one of my really good friends that I do a lot of this with. Uh, he's like really, really good. You know, like he does Rebel Yell, and you would assume Billy Idol just walked in. Um, he does uh, Eddie Money, and he hits the full range. So he's good. I just have fun. But yeah, so I think it takes a range of songs to be able to have a fun. Well, as you can tell, Jake is really, really in love with Kansas City and willing to do whatever he can to make sure that everybody around the country knows how great Kansas City truly is. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.